Hello again, and welcome to another episode of The Goat Farm. It's been a while, but we're back with a new episode. We're going to be talking today with Jason and Courtney from Nordstrom. But before we get into our guests, Ross, hello again. Hi, long time no talk. Yes, it's been a while. So what have you been up to in the uh, couple of months since we've taken this little bit of time off from recording? Uh, it's It's been a pretty busy run. So I, I've done a few events here the last few months. Actually, they were back-to-back. Um, I was out at uh, DevOps Forum that, that Gene Kim put on in, in Portland. One of our guests, Courtney, was actually there as well, um, along with some other folks from Nordstrom. But uh, that was interesting. It was about 30 folks from the community that were pulled together to work through some guidance based on feedback we got from uh, all the presenters at the uh, DevOps Enterprise Summit last fall. And so that's that's been an, that was an interesting exercise. It was fun to get connected with a lot of the other thought leaders that were invited there. And we'll have continuing work to do between now and the, the conference this fall. We're going to share some of the results back with, with that community. And then Velocity came up, uh, which Target actually was a presenter at. We were also a sponsor, which was exciting for us. So we, we had a, a booth in the expo hall. Uh, we were there telling our story, obviously looking at, at recruiting talent as well. Uh, Heather and I were able to share an update on our story at Target and where we're at. And, the, you know, the other big thing, I guess, has been uh, we've been working on building our own goat farm at Target uh, that we're actually calling the dojo. And I think I might have shared some early thinkings on this and maybe our last recording, but we've we've actually gone far enough to secure a floor, start to... Um, you know, organize the space uh, the way that, that we want to, to drive collaboration and teams working more closely together. And we're starting to cycle various teams through the dojo to get immersive coaching on all of these DevOps and agile practices, starting to see some good results there. But we're using this as a big mechanism to try to drive our, our the people side of our transformation. So that's interesting. So you're almost building uh, uh, this community of DevOps practitioners, and then once they are complete with their kind of training, then they go back into the general population to kind of spread the word, or, or what's the situation there? Yeah, so if you recall uh, our 30-day challenges, it's a construct or concept we came up with late yep. last year to drive this immersive coaching, put people through five weeks of you know 10 sprints, and they get a heavy dose of coaching on all the you know the DevOps tech practices like CI, CD, infrastructures code, etc., as well as agile coaching. They come in with their actual work, and we work alongside with them to do their real deliverables, following new work models and new ways of working. And so the goal there is just really to boot up a lot of these new skills, so that when they do go back out, uh, keeping that work and back to their kind of final resting spot, they they're able to continue forward with these new practices. Interesting. Very, very interesting. And have you uh, have you ran the first team through that dojo, or uh, where are you at with that? Oh yeah, we've had probably half a dozen or so come through now, and we've we've had pretty good results. Uh, some have gone really, really well. There's been one or two that have been, you know, could be a little bit better. A lot of it boils down to kind of the readiness of the teams and and the space that their leaders are able to make for them coming right. into it, which is actually something I've learned a little bit from. Courtney and some of the stuff Nordstrom's been doing as well. So we may we end up talking a little bit about that yet today. Cool. How about you? How's Europe been? Yeah, so I've been over in Europe for uh, almost a month now, and so really working over here to try and um, spread the the love of chef, as we like to say. It's been good. I've gotten to see uh, some cities that I haven't been to, so I've made it over to Germany and also over into Northern Ireland as well. Actually, head back to Northern Ireland this week, and it's really interesting. I was at a DevOps meetup in Belfast, and uh, there's a guy giving a talk on graphite, and he worked at Yelp, and he actually came up from Dublin to give the talk. But it's kind of interesting, like seeing this guy halfway across the world talking about graphite on something that. <laughs> Uh, my coworkers and I worked on, you know, eight years ago or however long ago that was, ten years ago probably at this point. Uh, so it's just really interesting to kind of see the view, different views of the world, and especially where people think they are with DevOps and what they think that they need uh, with DevOps as well. 
there was a really interesting meetup at Facebook this week. So the London DevOps had a meetup at Facebook and there were about 700 people registered. It was insane how large a meetup was. It was almost a mini conference. And wow, seven. Yeah, <laughs> 700 registered and probably about 500 people showed up. Extremely, extremely impressive of how hungry people are over here, especially in London uh, around this DevOps uh, idea. And also what's interesting is that's just one DevOps meetup in London. There are actually a couple others as well, as well as a continuous delivery meetup and other meetups like that as well. Awesome. You going to move over there? Feels like you are. Uh, no, no, no immediate plans for uh, relocation at this point. <laughs> All right. So we have uh, two guests, as we mentioned. So first we have Courtney Kissler. Courtney is a VP of technology at Nordstrom. And then also Jason, Jason uh, Josephi. He's a development manager at Nordstrom. And so Courtney and Jason, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself? All right. Thanks for having us. Um, so my role at Nordstrom, I have accountability for the delivery teams that support the website and our in-store technology, so mobile POS and our fixed POS systems, um, our customer mobile application delivery team, personalization, and our continuous improvement team. So that's kind of my, my role at Nordstrom coming up on 15 years there, so seen a lot of change. Wow. That's yeah, almost so as long like, as you, uh, Ross. Yeah. At, at Target, so, right? 17 years. We're getting yeah. or close. So, Jason, how about yourself? So, um, so I'm the development manager on the transactional part of the website. So the front end and all the services that power that. Uh, we call it Secure is kind of the name of the team. Um, it's a team of about 22 engineers at this point. I've joined Nordstrom only about eight months ago where I'd been at one company for about my entire career. So I've, I've learned a lot and um, kind of been exposed to a lot of new things. So that's why I'm, I'm here today. Awesome. All right. So I'm, I'm really excited to have Nordstrom on this episode. I've had the opportunity to collaborate with, with Courtney and some of the other leaders there for a while now. And I've seen Nordstrom as being largely a first mover for, especially when you think about like a traditional retailer in this whole DevOps space and really being vocal and out in the community and talking about what they're doing and experimenting with new things. I know Target uh, in particular, we've really had an opportunity to learn from them, which we've been super appreciative of. So I'm going to go ahead and kick us off and ask the, the first question then, and we'll, we'll see where this goes. So as I just said, you guys have been really active in the DevOps community. You've done a lot of cool things, and, and we've been able to learn from those things. What got Nordstrom really turned on to DevOps and lean practices, and, and what was behind your decisioning to even share some of your journey more publicly when you started a couple of years ago? You know, it really started as a grassroots effort. Um, we had a couple thought leaders at the engineering level, and Ross, you've met Doug Ireton and, and Rob Cummings before. And they really, I mean, it started with CD and they, um, I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys read the DevOps in Practice publication, um, but like the first line of it is Rob Cummings hated releases. Mm -hmm. And he, he really did. Um, you know, he worked with me on the website back in like 2004 and it was painful and we were only releasing like a couple times a year and it was painful. So, you know, he really saw CD as our, as our path out of hating releases. And, you know, 2004 was a long time ago, but, you know, I've shared this, um, I shared this at DevOps Enterprise Summit, really up until 2011, our organization, our technology organization was optimized for cost. So it was really about, you know, a couple releases a year, big batch, um, and then in 2011, we said, we can't, we're not going to win if we don't shift our mindset and really be optimized for speed. And that's when we kind of doubled down on the digital space. So it was all about the website. It's all about um, mobile and really looking at, like, how can we drive some of these practices into the organization? So, you know, Rob was running a team that was... Um, kind of carved off to go do um, 
some of the CD kind of platform specific stuff. So that's when we got exposed to Chef and really kind of stood up the infrastructure required to actually automate our pipeline. So that was um, one of our initial kind of, you know, efforts around CD and, and lean. And right around that same time, Doug introduced me to John Allspa, which was um, very eye-opening for me because he started talking to me about Etsy's journey and kind of how somebody starts at that company. They push to production on day one. I thought, yeah. wow, that is aspirational. It would be awesome for us to figure that out. And he, you know, he talked to me about DevOps and um, exposed me to Velocity, which was very eye-opening. I had that kind of window into a community of sharing, and I thought, this is a this is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of communities, it's like, hold your cards close and don't share your journey. And, and for us, I thought, this is an opportunity for us to get out there and learn, share what we've got going on. And that's when I, you know, got to meet you and Heather and started sharing and, and Jean and um, kind of reading the Phoenix Project and kind of all those things kind of came together right around the same time. And what, for us, it was like, we got to get out there and talk to people. You know, you said in 2011, you had that realization that the trans to the shift to optimize for speed. What, what drove that realization? Yeah, so our board gets together in June, and they always have a strategic topic that they take through that offsite. And in 2011, it was um, online as a growth engine. And really what triggered that, kind of the critical, you know, burning platform, if you will, was Blockbuster, uh, Borders, and I think Best Buy were like the three Bs that they talked about at the time that um, had kind of put their head in the sand from our perspective. It was like, we're just going to focus on brick and mortar and we're not going to focus online. And we didn't want to become another, you know, company that didn't make digital important. So... Out of that offsite came increased investment in the web, um, increased investment in mobile, and really started us on our journey of how do we understand the value we're delivering, how do we optimize for that, and our transformation started kind of the following year because we, you know, whether it's right or wrong, we really didn't take a like a pause and say, all right, how would we how would we look at our technology stack and make sure that we can actually grow at the pace we need to grow? Um, We decided at the time really just to build on top of what we had. And, you know, fast forward a year later, we acknowledged that we really needed to re-architect and modernize our web platform. And that's where, you know, Jason can probably weigh in on, you know, our microservices plans and kind of how we're going to get there. So so really there was this edict of digital is important, but nobody realized that the underlying platform wasn't going to be able to support that transformation. Exactly. You know, you've, you've talked about the transformation started with, with obviously this recognition that digital needed to be important and, and this focus on digital and, and mobile. One thing I've, I've seen with you guys though is, is you've, you've really started to apply these practices even beyond those initial kind of digitally focused spaces. Can you talk a little bit about about how you've gone about doing that? Yeah, yeah. We realized that, and really our our customer mobile team kind of demonstrated this first, that if we understood value streams and grounded how we deliver basically any technology um, in that value stream context, uh, we could understand cycle time and remove waste within our environment. And that applied really anywhere. It didn't have to be in the digital space. So um, we took our continuous improvement team and focused them on kind of two value streams. And by design, we picked kind of a legacy platform and then we picked a non-legacy and we picked methodology. One was agile and one was not. And we did that by design because we had a bunch of um, folks in our organization who thought, well, lean only applies to agile. 
and they were mixing and matching some of the techniques and concepts. And it was like, no, this applies to everyone. So we took our restaurant um, team, basically, the team that's accountable for, you know, the technology that's in our restaurants across all of our, most of our full line stores have a restaurant. It's a package. It's been customized. It's, it's completely different from anything else that we have going on in our digital space. And that team was amazing. They went through the value stream exercise. They identified waste in the process, reduced it by 40%, took their cycle time down. And also it would, it enabled us to highlight that had opportunities to bring the resources closer together and really optimize the team in what turned into a DevOps model. We brought infrastructure engineers into the team, and so we had the full stack, basically. It was, it was just really eye-opening because it made it fact-based. We were able to use data to have the conversation, and you know, you've met Mark Peterson, our infrastructure senior director, and he mm-hmm. understands the journey we're on, so he was, he was very open, brought those uh, engineers into the team, and... What was interesting is people thought that they wouldn't be excited about it because it's, you know, it's a different identity. You're moving away from your infrastructure team into this, you know, what could be labeled as, you know, a delivery team or business team. And once they made the transition, they were so excited because they could see the work that they were doing and how it connected to the customer. And so that kind of kick-started our journey around where else can we apply this? We went to some of our mainframe teams and we followed the same technique and basically were able to bring those teams together, identify problems that they could solve and really go at it from a non-emotional, you know, blameless kind of situation, which was, it was new for us, but it, you know, it's been, it's been very um, educational across the board, even outside of technology, because we'll bring in our um, business partners in exercise too. And just watching how people react when they see what it takes to deliver technology, it's um, it's been a good learning for us. What drove the decision to stand up that continuous improvement team? There's different ways you could probably go about driving these practices, but you clearly, it sounds like last year kind of made, made a decision to stand up a team to focus on that. Yeah, I consider uh, continuous improvement and lean um, a new capability for us as a technology organization. And we have learned over time that when we want to introduce a new capability, the best way to have it be successful is to create a focus team. doesn't have to be a big team, but it's similar to what we did with Rob and his team. We said CD can't just be, we can't increment our way into it. If we just take existing engineering teams and say, go do CD, they're not going to be successful. I think Rob talked about that a little at, uh, what, a couple of years ago at ChefConf. So this is kind of, this thinking is based on the innovator's dilemma, right? Exactly. And so, you know, we said, let's get, let's get these experienced practitioners. Let's um, have them be focused. We actually moved them organizationally. They were, they were in one of our shared service organizations and we put them closer to the teams that were doing the work, which helped a lot because they could see the work that was going on and then the teams got closer to them as well. So they weren't seen as like, you know, a group of people getting, you know, parachuted in and going to make our lives easier. It was an extension, our team. And so they have been extremely just instrumental in this journey because they'll go in, help a team be successful they only disengage when they have evidence that the team can sustain the momentum because one of the things we've learned is that uh, doing work this in this continuous improvement or lean way requires discipline and structure. And sometimes that um, 
we'll see teams go backward just because, you know, it's, it's different. And I'd love Jason to weigh in on that too, because it's just a different way of thinking, you know, using the improvement kata and target conditions and measurement and having, you know, these check-ins along the way. It's just, it's just different. And so that team gets a team to a point where they're sustainable and then they check in on some frequency. Because our goal is to have teachers that are actually in the teams, and including myself. Like, I should be able to teach this. And so over time, our hope is that we um, organically end up with um, a bigger pool of capability across the organization. So that's interesting. A lot of times when you think of DevOps or Lean or, or other ideas like this, they get a bad rap of one uh, of being, you know, cowboyism uh, or cowgirlism. And, you know... Is that a term? The, I don't know, but, like, it's the wild <laughs> west, be. right? It is uh, now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's this idea of things aren't going to have as much structure or be as rigid, but uh, it kind of sounds like that's not really the case mm -hmm. in your experience. And I guess, Jason, if you have a thought on that, since you are kind of newer to the organization, how it is coming into an organiz organization like Nordstrom where continuous improvement and kata and waste and, and all of these different lean ideas are, are really a major focus of the way you work in the organization. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I have a lot of ideas and thoughts on that. So when I came in, I had, um, you know, had a sort of a deep background in all sorts of s sort of software delivery life cycles, uh, mostly in Agile. And I was always kind of under the belief that Lean could not work with software delivery um, for a lot of reasons. One is there's sort of this hard way to devise features to be manufacturable, how you create those, et cetera. So when I first in was introduced to uh, this, this methodology, I was kind of skeptical, to be honest with you. And then my first um, sort of interface with it was through this value stream mapping exercise, which I was only at the company a few months when we first went through it. And there was an interesting dynamic that was happening at the time um, with the website team, the engineering team, especially how it related to the releases, which was we had some new folks like myself coming in who have experienced sort of DevOps and continuous delivery in our time. And there was a friction kind of happening between some of us because we all had different ideas or people have been ingrained with the process for many years who has strong opinions. We, of course, brought our own strong opinions. So when we went into this um, initial value stream mapping, it was, it was there was actually a lot of contention in the room. And one of the things that almost immediately happened, which started to get me, was sort of when I first started getting interested in the whole concept, was the contention disappeared because we had a platform to sort of see each other and recognize our own differences and find a common ground for a solution. And I found that to be a very powerful uh, place, right? Now, the point you made about the whole idea of um, cowboyism, I thought I think that's a great idea, a great term, because we've all, I've always believed you have to have very rigid structure around how you're iterating, right? You can't have free-formed sort of process and iteration. And that's one thing that's kind of opened my eyes in, in this model is that you actually can have that. Um, and through the use of sort of target conditions and how you iterate and the, the continuous check-ins, as Courtney talks about, that's the framework for allowing people to actually work in ad hoc manners but still be very focused on what we're trying to deliver. And that's been a very powerful concept, actually, that um, the team has really rallied around a lot. And so that was where I kind of first started um, getting involved with it. And so then shortly after that, I got invited to go to a Kata Summit that was in Florida from a couple folks on the team. And so I decided I'd go and check it out. And that was actually where it really opened up the whole thing for me. Because when we went through the value stream mapping, I was brand new to it, and I didn't really understand everything about improvement kata as a as sort of a whole framework, what it all entailed, right? And so then when I was down there, I started to really see that um, it's not really about this execution that we always are trying to drive toward the, always the outcomes, right? We have all these frameworks and patterns for how we deliver can, all the time. But there's really this underlying power in there in that you can build a framework to get people on board to solve the same problem, get them invested in solving that problem, get shared, shared um, accountabilities and capabilities from the entire team and how you can build that team 
to really power them to continue to drive improvements through everything that they do all the time, right? The whole idea of the da daily Kaizen, the PDCA, and the, the quick iterations. When you bring the team together and let them do that, it becomes very, very powerful. Um, and the other aspect of that that was very hard for me to embrace at first, especially as a manager, and as Courtney says, the coach of the system is, um, the aspect of the kata is that managers, coaches, don't provide solutions. And that was really difficult for me, and kind of still is, to be honest with you. And so I've, I've tried to step back from that and really um, go through that whole coaching process, which is what I learned at the summit, which was really very interesting to me, the whole idea of how you just direct people towards the target that you want to, uh, where you want to arrive, and not give prescriptive guidance and not give solutions, right? Right, the whole commander's intent idea. Mm-hmm. And, how do you and see, now that I... Sorry, go ahead. Jason, how, how do you see... Like, what's your advice for other managers that need to go through that same mindset shift? Because that is really, really hard, especially when you've been managing and you've been kind of incented to manage in a certain way for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. like, how do you go about doing that? So the way that I did it to make structure, because I kind of need structure, is I took the five questions of the coaching kata. There's the card, you know, if you've seen that. Um, no, uh, do, if you, do you know those five questions? Yeah, so the five questions are, number one, um, what is the current condition, right, which you, you can set up every day? Right. What is our target condition, which uh -huh. can be the same or different every day? And then what you say is, what obstacles are keeping us from reaching our target condition? Right. What steps are you taking to alleviate those obstacles to get to our target condition? And when are we able to go see it, right? Okay. And so what, what we do now, um, and so that was what I used as my framework because that actually forced me to not give solutions. If I focused on those particular questions and only those questions when I talked to people, I would not say, oh, here's something you should go do or did you do this? And so that was kind of the framework for me. Um, but I think it's very, very difficult. It, and I think it's ongoing. You have to practice it and be aware of, of doing it. And now I've tried to notice, and even though I don't do this very well all the time, I try to notice when I'm giving solutions and try to redirect myself. But I think it's just like the improvement kata. You have to have a daily kaizen to get better at it. It takes practice. Yeah, that's really interesting. Of, of I guess the managerial aspect is more than just this whole, you know, breaking down organizational silos and thus, you know, maybe breaking down the way I say it, call it as, you know, kingdoms that managers might have built, but also just taking managers out of the decision-making role in some way, right? And making yeah. people that are closest to the information make those decisions. Yeah, it really is a um, very, very powerful thing, actually. And so what we've tried to do there is, is so when I came in also, we were, we were very rigid with our scrum practice. It was something that maybe, maybe you, we Courtney's talked about the whole agile transformation, which is something that the company went through, was a very positive thing, but it left some residual in the system where people were sort of unsure how to behave any other way. So we kind of found a way to be able to take um, that framework, what I just talked about with the coaching kata, and map it to scrum deliverables. So you can have things like a story that can be an improvement theme, right? And uh, you can set your, your current and target conditions, current state and target condition, just uh, based off features that you need to deliver. And those really become your stories. And then you can use the steps and obstacles the same way you would in Scrum to build um, tasks in, like, your backlog and then be able to use obstacles as really be, they become software defects or issues that you're tracking as you would any other way. Right. What this has allowed us to do is really kind of get out of the mindset of one particular uh, sort of scrum methodology or even agile and have this more open-ended open framework that allows everyone to participate in different ways, but then still use the same things that people are familiar with. And that's really given the team a lot of um, ability to sort of innovate with how we're delivering these features. It's been really, really positive, actually. Very cool. I kind of wanted to circle back to something Courtney was talking about before, which was applying some of these practices, this continuous improvement practice, to some of their mainframe-based teams. And the reason I want to is is that's a that's a definite challenge that traditional companies have when we start talking about enterprise DevOps. How do you start to apply you know modern approaches to 
our you know our mainframe our, our our older more legacy I guess technology environments. Can you talk a little more either Courtney or or Jason about just how dig it maybe one level deeper on how this has been applied in those spaces and what kind of results you're seeing? This is actually one of my my favorite stories. Um, we have a mainframe application or an application that runs on the mainframe. Um, that for at least the past five years, the conversation has been, how do, we, how do we get it off the mainframe? How do we rewrite it, move it to a new technology stack? Really got to get it off that platform. And so that has been basically a circular discussion for the last five years. And it came, came up again this year because we, you know, we haven't moved it off the mainframe. And um, the CI team actually said, well, how about we do a value stream mapping exercise? Let's really understand where the problems are. And it's possible that the outcome will still be, we got to move it off the mainframe, but let's start with that. And so they pulled in all the people who have any, any accountability across the board for delivering that value stream, including our business partners, um, any shared service teams. It was basically anyone who has any skin in the game. And um, they went through the workshop, and essentially what they discovered was the biggest problem to solve was actually at the very beginning of the process where we were asking for information that the people submitting the request didn't have. So we had all this waste back and forth in the process and delay because they didn't have the information. And... It was really interesting for me when I when I got exposed to this particular value stream map and the problem solving piece because there's that lean kind of concept around information being complete and accurate and I never really put a lot of like focus on that. I was like, oh yeah, well of course you want your information to be complete and accurate, but how it ties to waste that was the very first moment where I was I was. Um, had direct exposure to what that meant. And so essentially we rewrote that intake component of the process, super simple. The team actually did it within the workshop. They engaged the team that could rewrite it. They rewrote it. By the end of the five-day workshop, they had a new system that they tested with the users. And essentially... There's no real motivation to move it off the mainframe. That's actually not where the problem is. The problem was way upstream. And they cut, I think they cut like 40% out of the cycle time with that one change alone. And super simple. The team was excited because they controlled their destiny. They were like, this is this is something we can actually influence. And um, I just think it's a great example of we make a lot of assumptions, especially in leadership roles. I'm glad Jason talked about the solution piece because that's exactly what was happening. There was a leader basically saying, we got to get it off the mainframe. And in reality, it had nothing to do with the platform. <laughs> it had everything to yeah. do with information gathering. So, I'm very familiar with the you got to get it off the mainframe language. Um, right. I, I feel like we've been down that path uh, before in yeah. my company as well. And I'm super... Were- it's super impressive that you guys are able, just through applying like lean approaches, you're able to bring visibility to where the actual problem is so that people could focus on that and, and not be so distracted to just get it off the mainframe because we have to. Right, right. It was, uh, it was really great to watch. And I think the, the most powerful piece of it was the team. The team problem, did all the problem solving. And came up with what they should go after. And so there was, you know, this energy with that group. And they are, so they did that workshop um, maybe three months ago. And they are just, they are sustaining it with their own momentum. They're like, what's the next problem we can solve? And they've just been doing their, you know, PDCA once a month. They get all that same group together. Uh, the business leadership is really motivated, which is wonderful. It's like sometimes, you know, it depends on the situation, how much engagement you get from really 
a lot of the teams. With the business leadership, what do you think drove their engagement so high? What aspect uh, of this? Um, I'll give you my perspective. So I actually used to support the delivery team that, that supports this application. So and, and Sorry, I, I want to jump in one, just one time real quick here. For those of you that aren't familiar with Nordstrom's servant leadership style, it took me a little getting used to. Uh, Courtney saying she supports a team means that she's, for most of us, means you're the leader of the team. But you guys have the inverted pyramid. So you, the leaders are supporting the people that are essentially above them in the pyramid, so their teams. Just wanted yes. to get that out there because um, <laughs> I'm almost using that language now because I've been in enough events with Nordstrom where it's where it's starting to rub off on me. But I figured I'd yeah. get that out there for our listeners. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we're very, we talk about support and we rarely talk about our titles about <laughs> that inverted pyramid. So yeah, so I, I supported that team and at the time spent a lot of time with these business users because um, they, well, I mean, that's partially why I know that it's been a circular conversation because we, we wanted to do something about it back when I supported that team and we could never really get the support for it. Like we couldn't get the funding. We couldn't, it was never a high enough priority. Um, so their level of engagement, I think is because they're seeing momentum. It's like, oh my gosh, we're finally getting traction on doing something about this. And so they don't want to disengage because they've, they now see that we're, we're solving a problem for them and they also are helping us solve it. So I think that was the kind of the turning point. Yeah, it's been, for me, it's just really exciting to hear about your story there and just how you guys are driving change. I know we've, we've been inspired by it a lot at Target and we've been trying to learn from you guys and apply some of those things in our own space as well. So what are you, what are you most excited about moving forward? Like, where do you, when you think about Lean and DevOps and where Nordstrom wants to go, like, what do you, what are, what are some of the big things coming in your mind? Well, I, um, I'm very excited about a recent, um, I guess you would say, delivery. Um, we took, and Jason, I'd love for you to talk about this as well, kind of our very first automated CD pipeline for the web. So we took a really small portion of our website. We did that by design. We wanted it to be low risk. And, and we knew we had a lot of foundational work to do in order to enable this. Um, but it went live about a month ago. And for us, that was a huge win because we now have the ability to release on demand for that section of our website. We have a roadmap for um, basically modernizing our entire web platform. We have executive level support for it. Everybody sees the value, and now we just have to focus and, and accelerate that. And Jason, I don't know if you want to add anything in on that topic. Yeah, sure. I'll talk a little bit about the how we're sort of transforming to DevOps with that model. So this is really going to lay the foundation for us to start engaging um, across the entire sort of e-commerce front-facing customer selling systems to really start driving the whole framework of DevOps. So as Courtney talked about with this first implementation, um, that's given us the ability to really lay the groundwork there. So the engineers now are owning everything. They're owning the infrastructure, they're owning the code, they're owning the deployment, and it's a real representative example of what we're able to do really uh, as a true DevOps engineering team. And so this is starting to scale out and people are starting to get more interested in. And as Courtney said, with the roadmap we're devising, um, we're really laying the groundwork for all teams to start delivering theirs. So we're building reusable capabilities. We're bringing teams together who maybe have worked on different components who are now starting to share these things. We have sort of common mindshare and, and uh, investment in what the whole idea means. And I'm actually very excited about this whole sort of fundamental transformation of the website, the continuous delivery pipelines that we're starting to build, and the whole sort of emergence of DevOps across all of e-commerce. And I think that's really, I think it's just the beginning of what we can really start doing. So it's actually a very, very exciting time for us, I think. 
Yeah, so that's really interesting. I've heard uh, Jez Humble talk about this idea of this plant, or is it a plant? Help me out here, Ross, where there's a seed that's dropped on top of this plant, and the seed basically starts to kind of grow and end up uh, uh, enveloping the entire kind of... The strangler pattern. Plant. Yeah, the strangler pattern. And so yeah, you guys I think that's a really, Martin really doing the, the strangler pattern here, where you're starting to, like roll it out with this one service or one component of the website and then slowly it's just starting to strangle the rest of the way that you work overall. Yeah, it sounds, uh, on the surface, if you're not familiar with the strangler pattern, it, it sounds like it could have a negative connotation, but I actually feel like it's a pretty positive connotation. You build a build a new capability kind of on a little bit from the sidelines and let it kind of consume the legacy capability over time because people just naturally move to it. It's kind of ties to the whole innovator's dilemma approach that feels like you guys have been anchoring on a little bit of build it off to the side a little bit, get people shifted over to it, and then allow that to become kind of that driving force to get people moved to the new way. Yeah, and it's it's definitely the approach that we're taking and then also balancing because we've got a lot of existing capabilities within our e-commerce space. And this is, you know, Jason referenced the value stream map that we did. We really took a small portion of our release, um, you know, cycle time, if you will, um, called our hardening phase, which is essentially a two-week period where we're supposed to be, you know, stabilizing things before we go live, but essentially it becomes, um, well, an extension of the dev cycle. And we often are doing perf testing, <laughs> kind of towards the end. Um, so it becomes it becomes very challenging to, um, or how do I want to say it? It's, we have to strike a balance between we've got this new capability, which is absolutely where we want to be, but then we have our existing um, release cadence and cycle that also has a bunch of opportunity. So mm -hmm. how do we, how do we, you know, accelerate the new capability, but also be mindful of we've got this existing, um, you know, problem to solve. Might be the best way to say. I don't know, Jason. Feel, if you feels like a it. feels like a balance between disruptive innovation and incremental innovation. So you're right. you need to yes. improve a bit on current state things, but you also want to be a bit disruptive and moving moving things to the new way of doing things as well. Right. Very cool. And, and when do you choose to do disruptive versus incremental? Well, um, well, I'll speak to that for me. So what we've tried to do actually is we've tried to build both at the same time that can actually complement each other. So we have now, as we're trying to build the teams, we have a current state team, and then we have sort of our modernization team. And we get the, we've built a leadership team around that that can partner on everything. So incoming sort of what we call the incremental feature sets and all the challenges we have with the current system and ways we want to improve there. Um, and then also looking at that for opportunities that could potentially start moving into the modernization phases. So for example, maybe a new feature for a service comes in. That might be an opportunity to start moving that towards some of our new stuff, right? Whereas we might have we might have some sort of core instrumentation or some monitoring logic that we want to build in the current state to help bolster that up. But that might be done in such a way to help it evolve into the new state. So we're trying to be very creative with how we can balance both. And then also trying to sort of solicit these ideas across all of the engineering teams to help get buy-in and contribution to that way of thinking where, you know, there's this um, in sort of legacy software sustaining, there's this idea of a, a dedicated improvement stream. And so we're really trying to use that as, as the mantra for everything that we do on the current platform. How does this add both the incremental value and continue to pave our way to the future. And it is very challenging to do that, but that we're trying to just create the mindset there so we're not investing in things that are going to be throwaway as we move forward. But it is a challenge. This, is, this has been an awesome podcast. I want to throw, I know we're about ready to wrap up, but I want to throw one other uh, comment out there and something I've seen, seen from Nordstrom, mainly because I want to include this in the show notes as well. So, Courtney, I had... Uh, JB taught that JB Brown, who's an awesome lean dude at Nordstrom, um, 
who's a leader that supports teams there. I saw he taught uh, uh, the envelope game, which is a lean game you can play to show people the value of single-piece flow. Uh, and it looks like that's accessible out in the public domain for people to see, like a 10-minute video of how he, he taught uh, some teams how to play this lean game, which actually shows really shows the power of flow over, you know, economies of, of flow versus economies of scale-based ways of working. So flow versus batch or agile versus waterfall. God, that is so powerful. I remember playing a similar game in my MBA program a while back, but it, it didn't click for me until I saw uh, him doing that. And uh, I've shared that with a few folks, and it's been so powerful to get people's head around how much more value and results you can get in a flow-based system. Have uh, I, I want to throw that out there. I don't know if uh, any reactions or anything to that, but I, I plan on maybe putting a link to that out in our show notes because I think it would be really good for our audience to see that game as well. Yeah, I think that is a really great resource, and we use it still. It is a challenging concept for people to understand. Um you know, it just, we still have challenges with it. Because one of our, um, you know, back again to kind of aspirational goals is to really single piece flow kind of across any of our teams that are delivering within our, I want to say like customer facing teams. And it's challenging for our technology teams to understand it, but really challenging for our business teams. Because it seems counterintuitive. Like, what? Well, no, I want to batch all my stuff up and have these, you know, amazing experiences. And JB does such a good job of demonstrating that you actually get more. And yeah, yeah and that, you know, that video is a really, really great way for people to quickly understand it. And then when he, um, so he supports our customer mobile application teams and our personalization teams. And they're operating in that model. So not only has he taught that to other people in the organization, but he actually lives it. And it's really powerful to see it show up because those are kind of two spaces where it's very tangible. You can see, oh, the app is getting updated pretty frequently and the business team really understands like what they're going to get because it's simple um so it's a it's something we definitely want to take further into the org yeah but that's one of the downsides i see of continuous delivery quite honestly is i have 152 apps that i need to update on my iphone <laughs> that's true <laughs> and the, the frequency of release is just way too much right well you know, I, i'm glad you brought that up because we had this goal of update as frequently as possible and we actually ended up landing on monthly for our iphone app but the kicker is it used to be a technology constraint us to release anything into the app and now it's a business decision it's all their choice they could they could do it more frequently they actually you know it's it's typically monthly but it it's just it's such a great place to be and similar to the you know the example of taking that small section of our website it's like now technology is not the gate it's really the business can decide to push something out when they want. And, um, but yeah, it's a good point. It's like that, that update frequency can get a little noisy. <laughs> well, I want to thank you both for coming on. It's been a, a really great episode. Uh, lots of good insights. And especially, it seems like your maturity level, especially around things like lean, uh, really, really gives many people in the organization uh, uh, something to look at and something to model for sure. Yeah. Yeah, thanks I, again for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, you know, potentially more episodes in the future too. I think you guys are definitely a, a leader out there in this space and it's been, you know, keep keep doing what you guys are doing because it's been, it's been awesome. It's great to see companies getting out there and changing and talking publicly about it and 
trying to modernize and make sure that they're ready for the future. So in closing, did you guys, uh, did you, did you all see that goat herd moving through Berkeley, California uh, a couple <laughs> days ago? No. So apparently the University of Berkeley keeps goats and they use the goats for uh, grazing on the hillsides so they don't have to mow the grass and it also helps fertilize the hillside as well. Um, and they have to move the goats from one section of the uh, hill to another section to kind of rotate them through so that they have something else to eat. And uh, the other day, somebody captured it on camera. And it's so typical Berkeley, right? Because they're in the middle of Berkeley and these goats are running through and the guy's in his car recording it. And of course, NPR isn't there <laughs> on the, in the background, right? <laughs> Do you... Uh, did did you see if they do buck rotation, do you see? <laughs> I have not gotten into how they actually manage their herd. <laughs> so, Courtney, <laughs> I wasn't on the last episode. Uh, Michael did it. Jason Walker subbed for me because I was traveling. And, and <laughs> do you see introduced the term buck rotation uh, as, a, as a description of, of how you, you know, build more goats across your organization which I thought was kind of... (laughs) (laughs) So if you want to learn more about buck rotation, I'll uh, I'll leave a link in the show notes to a uh, talk where I I actually talk about that, of how to to breed goats, and buck rotation is actually one of the important things when you're actually breeding (laughs) actual real goats. Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you both again for uh, being on. Thank you very much, Ross, uh, for helping out as always co-hosting and also thanks for uh, quarterbacking this episode and putting it all together. It's been a great time and uh, definitely learned a lot from Nordstrom's practices. Absolutely. We'll, we'll get more out there. So just for our audience, know that both Michael and I were a bit busy here the last few months, but uh, we've got a few episodes lined up in the queue right now. So you'll see more start to show up out there soon. For sure. And thank you once again. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, of course, on Twitter, it's at GoatCan. Uh, or you can also look at us online, goatcan.com. I'm Michael Ducey, Twitter handle at MFDII. Ross? At Ross Clanton. And easy one. Courtney? At Lady Hawk, H-O-C-K. And Jason, how can people get a hold of you if they want to talk more about uh, what we talked about today? Um, you can find me either on Facebook or my email is jjoseffi at hotmail.com. And I also am on Twitter at jjoseffi. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or your other favorite platform. Uh, Once again, you can email us with any ideas or actually tweet us with any ideas. If you have an idea for an upcoming show, we'd love to hear from you. At GoatCan on Twitter. And as always, remember, be Be the the goat. goat. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.